This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Chris Grasso with the Indie Spiritualist Podcast hosted on the Be Here Now Network. And my guest today is Wayne Lickerman. Wayne, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Pleasure. So before we get into this conversation, which I am exceptionally happy to have with you and excited about, I wanted to read your bio for our audience in case anyone's not familiar with your work. So Wayne Lickerman was both a spiritual seeker and a family man with a successful export business when he met his first and final guru, Ramesh Balsakar, in September of 1987. In April of 1989, the process of seeking ended when enlightenment happened through the body-mind mechanism called Wayne. Wayne describes the event as being of interest only to seekers. His first book, No Way, A Guide for the Spiritually Advanced, was published in 1990 under the pen name Ram Su because he didn't want a bunch of miserable seekers cluttering up his living room. In fact, Wayne did not speak publicly until Ramesh asked him to do so during a visit to India in 1996. And when he returned home, word had spread and he started receiving requests to speak across the country and then around the world. The Enlightenment event and its aftermath are described in Wayne's second book, Acceptance of What Is, published in 2000. He is also the author of Nevermind, A Journey into Non-Duality, and the editor of Consciousness Speaks, and several other books by Ramesh Balsakar, who referred to Wayne as his spiritual son. Enlightenment is Not What You Think was published in 2009. The Way of Powerlessness, Advaita and the Twelve Steps of Recovery was published in 2012. And his last book, Hello My Loves, Ten Years of Writings to Seekers of Truth was released in 2015. For more information, please visit www.advaita.org, or if you are checking this out on the Be Here Now page, simply scroll down and the link will be there for you. So, again, Wayne, thank you so much for joining me today. So, this conversation could go so many different ways. Um, Your book, Acceptance of What Is, uh, in my life and in my personal path, has been very instrumental as has, uh, I mean, all of your work, but also Advaita and the 12 Steps of Recovery. I'm in recovery myself. Um, you know, but when I was reading first Ramesh's work and then your work, um, I had the experience of, you know, I've, I've been doing the seeking thing for 15 years, 15 plus years, and been through this path, that path, etc. 
But then when I got to your stuff, even after Ramana Maharshi and Nisargadatta, when I got to you and Ramesh, I felt like I'd been on this kind of trolley that was visiting this spiritual bazaar. And then I get to your writing and Ramesh's writing, and it's as if the ride had stopped, it was over. There's nowhere left to go at that point. That's the best kind of um, way I can describe that experience. I have not had what you talk about as the capital A awakening um, intellectually. I Thanks to you and Ramesh and, and others as well, I, I feel that I have that intellectual understanding. So again, gratitude for you to you for that. But I guess let's start with what you call divine hypnosis in relation to this body-mind mechanism. Um, something that is, you know, for anyone familiar with the non-dual traditions, is talked about at length in various manners. But like I said, your perspective on it has been very refreshing to me. So if you could take that wherever you want to. Okay. Uh, the term divine hypnosis was coined by uh, my guru, Ramesh Balsekar, and it is a reference to the uh, sense that people have that they are something other than what they truly are. Hmm. So uh, in this case, what we're talking about is the sense of being a independent entity, which is to say that we are separate and independent of everything else. So uh, this sense, while powerful and profound, is in uh, a way like hypnosis, because you look around and when you're under this hypnotic suggestion, and it appears a certain way because of this hypnosis. Mm. When in fact, uh, it's not what it appears to be. Mm. So this appearance of being independent is uh, like a hypnotic suggestion. And the term divine hypnosis uh, points us to the fact that it's not self-hypnosis. Mm. So it isn't that we have somehow screwed up and are falsely identifying ourselves uh, but rather that this, even this is part of the divine uh, movement, if you will. Mm. And I appreciate in your writing how you very concisely talk about how it is all part of this divine movement. Um, in, in speaking about your own story, uh, you talk about, which I, I found so interesting in, in the, um, the way of powerlessness in which you're talking about the 12 steps. You talk about how Ramesh told you that your sadhana or spiritual practice was that of your, what was it, I believe, 19 years of um, heavy drinking and uh, drug addiction. Um, but even that you liken to part of this divine movement where that might sound counterintuitive to the typical spiritual seeker or anyone for that matter. Um, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. Well, basically it points to, to the notion that nothing is wasted. All is part of what is. All is part of this wholeness. Mm. And uh, our histories, whatever they be, however checkered they might be, are certainly part of that um, continuing uh, movement within the wholeness. Mm. Now, that movement, uh, in my case, is named Wayne Lickerman. Right. That's the, the movement of the wholeness. 
that has this particular quality and characteristic. And part of that is, uh, in my case, 19 years of alcoholism and drug addiction, which uh, makes this movement look a certain way, different than it would look if I was uh, in a a cave in southern India, or if I was selling uh, uh, hand-rolled cigarettes in a slum in Bombay, or in uh, uh, a dozen other ways Mm -hmm. in which the movement would uh, play out and then express. So... On a personal note, and and I know I have a lot of listeners who are in recovery, so not somewhat personal to me, but um, maybe a collective question. I've personally struggled with, and I know a lot of the audience has as well, experienced their share, speaking to recovery, uh, relapse. And you talk about you you were struck sober. You know, I, I... absolutely beautiful. I'm jealous, to be honest. I remember having a conversation with Krishna Das, and he has a very similar story. You know, he was struck, but his was a little different. It was an actual Indian saint in the woods and tapped him on the forehead, and he was a very heavy cocaine addict and drug user, never touched anything since. That has not been the case for me. Um, so I have nearly died a number of times due to relapsing, even after you know, taking on a spiritual quote unquote path, meditation, doing various 12 step fellowships, working steps, etc. Um, and it's, it's interesting because having even nearly died, I have still gone back, whether it was a year of sobriety, five years of sobriety, I, I have gone back on a number of occasions, as again, many listeners who've reached out to me, they experience that well, and there's this frustration of God, why can't I get it? But, you know, as, as I'm reading your work, you talk about it as being part of this divine movement. Um, so that has helped me in some way bring some peace to the experience, but not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not make excuses, uh, but to understand that it's part of the divine movement. However, on the flip side of that coin, I also deal with, and I think you wrote about this a little bit in acceptance of what is, you, like I, have known people who have not made it back from a relapse or who have lost their lives to addiction. And so I've certainly deal with um, some guilt, some uh, survivor's guilt. And that's obviously not a very pleasant thing to live with, but that's why I do what I do today to try to be of service and, and I know using the word I in this conversation that we're having, um, we'll just throw throw that right out there, that the word I is Chris, the body-mind, is talking to Wayne, the body-mind mechanism. I have absolutely no difficulty with personal pronouns. <laughs> I know you don't, but I also know I have some of those listeners that, you know, well, it's non-dual, et cetera, et cetera. But the, again, that's why I love your work, Lane, is you're no bullshit. Well, those are the people we need to talk to yes. because it is exactly... <laughs> that kind of limited thinking yeah that is the obstruction to further movement right that it is then uh thought okay i know that i'm not somebody yeah which is so i now don't use personal pronouns (laughs) this person refers to this body mind mechanism as this movement of consciousness (laughs) it's all kind of um silly really when 
we recognize ultimately what the truth is, then such such language is is completely unnecessary because the the problem is not identity. Hmm. You see, what brings suffering is not the sense that I am Wayne hmm. or that I am Chris or that I am so and so. That to me is a, a complete misunderstanding of the teaching, but rather that this I which is present, is not independent. So the I is part of the functioning of totality. It is an aspect of the universe. And if you call Ramana Maharshi by name, he turns around. <laughs> because there is identity within that body-mind mechanism as Ramana Maharshi. Mm. And that's functional and necessary. But it does not imply that there is this quality of um, secondary involvement or the sense of being an independent entity, mm. which is what brings the suffering. That is what attaches to the sense of identity right? and basically perverts it and turns it into something else. And that's what the divine hypnosis is. The divine hypnosis is not that there is an I here, the divine hypnosis is that the I that is here is independent and separate. So I will use myself as an example right now to help people that are listening um, in, in this conversation. First of all, I part of the reason I was so attracted to your work and Ramesh's is you talk about Ramesh. Here he is, this banker, you know, and just your average guy who loved golf. And, and he had the awakening and he shared that with people. And here you are, someone who wasn't seeking it out and it happened for you, working, you know, being with Ramesh. And you you talk about how he asked you to speak and you didn't have this, you weren't the seeker, et cetera. And I very much relate to that. Um, I mean, you can't see much of me, but here I am, this completely tattooed, weirdo looking dude who's not your typical spiritual seeker. But when I read your work, I find it, again, it just resonates so much. But so here we are to circle back around to our conversation. I've, I've been interviewing people since high school. I've been doing this podcast for over two years and it usually flows. And in my mind right now, for whatever reason, I was nervous to talk to you today, Wayne, like your work has meant that much to me that I, I never get nervous doing these, but I got nervous. And so here we are having this conversation and there's this voice going on in my head. Like, Chris, you're fucking up right now. Like you're, you're mumbling your words. You're not asking good questions. And I'm trying to like work through that. What is, <laughs> I'm a very transparent person. I'll, I'll, I will throw myself under the bus quicker than anyone else. I'm not beating myself up over it. I'm just being very honest. That's what's happening right now with me. So that voice, that is, right. that is the ego. That is, what is that voice that's happening there? The voice that is the voice that says, I should not be as I am. Yes. Is this quality that. Uh, I talk about as the false sense of authorship. Some people call it the ego, but I don't like that word particularly. Sure. So I call it the false sense of authorship, which is linked to the sense of being an independent entity. And as such, as an independent entity, then what flows out of that is the sense that as I am, I should not be. 
Now, where it gets, I mean, it's, it's not a simple idea because it, it is complex to the extent that we as, as human beings, uh, even without secondary involvement, do make evaluations of ourselves and others in and the situation in the moment mm. and we like certain things and we don't like certain things and so we may well have this uh critical voice in our in our heads saying i i like this or i don't like this that's just part of being human but the what what changes that into the guilt changes that into the suffering which changes that into something which is really problematical is the sense that i could and should be different than i am mm. and in this teaching this living teaching of advaita that i talk about that's what we look at this yeah. sense that i could be and should be other than i am so thank you very much for that. And to take that and to circle back around to where I really began stumbling my words and talking about the relapse situation, I wanted I, what I did want to ask you about was so kind of just echoing what you you just said was relapse in regards to this teaching. Um, I am or my experience is as it is. There's nothing I can do to change the previous relapses. I can do what I can do today each day to try to make a living amends, be the best person I can. You know, all the things you're taught in various fellowships or, or just in general. But in regards to this teaching, because in my case, in many others I speak with, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt comes up mm -hmm. with that. Exactly. So, yeah. What, what and it's all linked, Chris. Yeah. This, is, this is the point. Yeah. That is all linked back to this root of, of identity as an independent entity. Hmm. That's, it all comes back to that. And so anytime there is this guilt or shame, it is an opportunity to look into it and see what is this linked to. And almost inevitably, you know, it will lead you back to this the root of the problem right and then you can begin to examine whether the root is in fact true sure. could you have not picked up that drink or drug in that moment in that moment i mean and the most of us who have experienced addiction recognize that there there is no way that in that moment we could have done otherwise. Yeah. We later tell the story, I shouldn't have, I could have. But literally, the, the fact is that if we were in control, we would never do that. We know rationally, logically, in, in every healthy way yeah. that this is going to bring hell into our lives. Yeah. And yet... There is this movement whereby we do it anyway. And we often know as we're doing it, we say, this is a bad idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a bad idea. Yes. And yet we do it. So that 
is an opportunity to look at what is truly operative. If it was us, if we were really the ones controlling it, we wouldn't do it. Yes, right. So there's something else operative, and that's what we're pointing at. What is it that is truly responsible for what we do, both positive and negative? Yeah. And so taking that into account, like I, I, I don't remember who heard it, but an example that really made this very like back to basics, uh, Advaita or non-duality 101, close your eyes and open them. Are you, Chris, the one causing the seeing to happen or is happening seeing through your eyes? Obviously happening is seeing through my eyes, you know, so, and, and like you write about, um, in, in the 12 step recovery book, it, for addicts, especially, we have a very easy in to that powerlessness because I know I am powerless. I definitely know. Do I accept that? Yes and no. There are times where, you know, because I've relapsed. So obviously I don't have that full acceptance. But so when we start to take in here, this living teaching, it, in a way, and especially with the addict voice, it's like, well, fuck it then. If you're going to pick up, you're going to pick up. And I'm not saying that I want to do that, but as you may have experienced, it's a very manipulative voice in the head. and But it's also true. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's true to the extent that you are going to pick up if you're going to pick up. Right. There, that there is no human power that is going to be able to resist that if you are not given the power to resist it. Yeah. Which is... So, <laughs> That's the grace that we we acknowledge, and that is why in the twelve step programs, the emphasis in the in the book, not necessarily in the meetings, but the emphasis in the book is on a power greater than ourselves yes. to control all this stuff. Not that we have to control it, because we, we've already proven we can't. Right, countless times. So, yeah. Um, but I want to go back to one please, other thing, please. and that is your this notion that when you the, about closing your eyes and opening your eyes, and I I got to tell you when I open my eyes, uh, often there is the accompanying thought, it is Wayne that is seeing. Still, for you. Okay? Yeah. That this is my reality. Sure. But the the Wayne that is seeing is not independent of the energy that is seeing. So, this is, I mean, a much more subtle distinction than the simple black and white that it's consciousness that does everything i do nothing it is a it is a deeper recognition that i am an aspect of consciousness and so that chris when chris sees or wayne sees it is absolutely implicit that it is consciousness doing it Hmm. there is no possibility that wayne or chris could see independently right i see you're saying so it's both though it is both yes and that's so uh, unfortunately in much of modern non-duality we've kind of thrown out the baby with the bathwater, right 
in and with this what I think is uh, kind of a untenable not meanness right <laughs> you know? and the only way you can make it tenable is to twist yourself into convoluted uh, intellectual and vocal uh, vocabulary kinds of ways to to appear spiritual <laughs> like appear like you know that i'm not the author i'm not the doer right 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 when in fact the deeper understanding is that what we are is what is doing it makes me think about how you had written um when you were with ramesh and people started to pick up on the fact that oh well I have no more or asking the questions, you know, I shouldn't have any more questions if I understand. So people would just walk around and, and say, Oh, I, I don't have any questions. And, but you made the point, well, then why are they still coming? You know, why are they still there? So I really appreciate that. And I know you said earlier, you don't like the word ego. And I remember you'd written, I believe it was an acceptance of what is, and of course not verbatim, but you talked about how even after the capital A awakening happens where it is a loss of sense of personal doership. There is still, like you were just saying, a, a sense of Wayne, you know, Wayne is you, you are this uh, conglomerate of genetics and conditioning. So there's, that's still going to be there. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Exactly. I mean, that was, that's uh, essentially an offshoot of what I was just saying sure. that the, Identity as Wayne is a movement of the whole that is, we can trace it to genetics, we can trace it to uh, experience, the, in, the individual experience of Wayne is not Chris's experience. Right. The DNA of Wayne is not Chris's DNA. And so there are these differences, and it is these differences that make up identity so that we can differentiate me from you. And that's what makes this podcast possible. <laughs> yes. Without that differentiation, and we, we can say it is consciousness talking to consciousness, but that's really meaningless because it is consciousness that is everything. Right. So it is only when you can conceive of something that is not consciousness, which is me, <laughs> then the whole, that the whole mess starts. But once the recognition is that it is all consciousness, then everything that is, is understood to be consciousness. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, no other possibility. And so when we say Wayne and Chris, it isn't it. There is no possibility that Wayne and Chris could be independent entities, somehow disconnected from each other and everything else. Mm. There's, there's no possibility of that. And so you you have this experience of of that, of, you know, that's that's how even no. No. Oh. <laughs> okay. So. I, I don't have the experience of oh, that. Damn. In yes. fact, it is simply the absence of the counter experience 
the experience of being independent. Right. So that is absent, but it isn't replaced by an experience of unity. And this is where, yes, it starts to mentally, like, it's like mental gymnastics. I remember, you know, yes, as I was reading your book, it, <laughs> it's making sense as I'm reading it. But, and I love the, the question and answer format, just like, you know, the, the teachers before you, because, you know, these questions that you're being asked are questions I'm essentially going to ask. And then I read someone asking them. And so it gets to the point where it's like, well, as you say, and Ramesh has said, it's, if it's, if and when it's going to happen, this awakening, it's going to happen. So, you know, I, I know people have asked you, then why bother doing anything if it's just going to happen? Mm-hmm. So, and I know you've written about this, but so I will ask you then, why bother doing, why bother meditating? Why bother doing yoga? Right. Because you can't not do <laughs> yoga if it is part of the functioning of the universe that the idea comes into your head to do yoga. Right. That the presumption in the question, why should I do it, is that you are controlling it. <laughs> and what we're looking at in this teaching is that presumption. Are you controlling it? If you are controlling it, then the question becomes legitimate. Why should I do this? Why should I do that? You know, if, but the logic behind the question, when you look more deeply into it, is kind of silly. If consciousness is doing everything, then why should I do that? (laughs) Uh, That's why I love it. Uh, You know, it's... It, it makes such sense. But then it's, you know, who is it making sense to? And the mind loves to. But, but, but the point is, it's making it makes sense or doesn't make sense to Chris. That's easy. Sure. It, it's, it's really easy, Chris. It, we don't need to complicate that aspect. Of it. <laughs> oh, but I'm so good at complicating, Wayne. It's, it's my go-to. I understand. <laughs> that part's easy. Chris does it. But the hard part is in finding out what is Chris's true nature? Is Chris independent? The Chris that's doing that. What, sure. what is he? That's what we're concerned with. Sure. And so, again, intellectually, I certainly understand what, right. what you're pointing at. That's a at. good start. I'm, it's, it's taken many a years, but I, you know, I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I've, I'm at least there and I'm very grateful for that. And, and I love the pendulum example you give because I, you know, when I do say why bother, I love that example of, you know, when you're not doing certain practices, perhaps you're at that bottom of the pendulum swinging very far one way and the other. And then as you incorporate these practices and the wisdom, perhaps you move up a little bit and the, the pendulum doesn't swing as far back and forth. And I know ultimately what happens with awakening, as you've described it, is you essentially, for the metaphor purposes, become the fulcrum or you're not you, you, know, you but the fulcrum happens, however you care to word it, <laughs> um, which I know it's tricky getting into this. But um, where the hell is I even going with that? <laughs> um, so if awakening is just going to happen, then this body-mind mechanism that is Chris, that is genetically predispositioned in whatever ways that it is and has been conditioned for 40 years as it has, he enjoys 
reading your work. He enjoys Ramesh. He enjoys Advaita. He enjoys Ram Das. He enjoys skateboarding and horror movies and heavy metal music and jazz and all sorts of diverse things. In your, from your viewpoint, experience, whatever you care to call it, one thing that I have found in many spiritual circles is there is acceptable of what is spiritual, what is not. You know, you shouldn't swear, you shouldn't do this, you should do that. For you, Wayne, do you see one thing as inherently more quote-unquote spiritual than another since it's all interconnected and consciousness, so to speak? Uh, absolutely not. Okay. I don't see anything being having a higher uh, measure of consciousness than anything else. Uh, to me, it is all consciousness. Within that, I have certain values. I like certain things. I belong to a community of humans that have share certain values, and that's our, you know, our way of looking at things. And we feel that, you know, this is good and this is bad. Sure. But in Despite that, the we can I can say for me the underlying understanding is that even my preferences and my likes and dislikes are not absolute. They're not true. They're simply my likes and dislikes, mm -hmm. and they may be shared by others, uh, and are generally are shared by those I choose choose to, to associate with. I feel most comfortable with those people who share my values. But they're not true. They're not <laughs> any truer than somebody else's values. Right. So can you talk a little bit about, and I know you already have, but um, the misperceptions that are commonly, that you've seen that are commonly associated with enlightenment. Or the capital A awakening. We don't have enough time, Chris. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the number of misconceptions about that are limitless. Sure, fair because enough. They, there has been a mythology that has developed about this over thousands of years. Yeah. And we're not going to really address that here. All we can do in this teaching, really, and especially within the course of an hour, is begin to look into ourselves, to look at yourself, to look at who and what you are, and most specifically, into this fundamental question of, are you an independent entity? So the, that question becomes real and potent and uh, immediate when you're feeling guilty about something. Right. You know, the, you feel very much like, I shouldn't have done that. I really, really am, a, you know, a horrible person because I have done this. So we, that feeling is an opportunity to, and, and an impetus, to look deeper and say, okay, the claim, this the sense the, that I 
am such a profound fuck up is that is linked to the sense that it's up to me and that I have not performed as I should. And so we look at that and take the specific thing that you feel badly about, that you, you know, I relapsed, I picked up that drink or that drug in that moment. And you look at it and you say, okay, what was, what, what's that about? What is going on there? Was there absolute, was there in fact truly a choice? Did I have the power in that moment to act otherwise? And it's an interesting, it's an interesting look Mm. because if you start to really get into it, you begin to see that that action is linked to a bunch of other things. Everything from your nature, your 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 physicality, your DNA, your your immediate situation, the, what happened to you uh, an hour ago, or 15 minutes ago, or a day ago, what the state of your life is like in that moment—all of these things contribute to that action. Yeah. And then we we say, can did you act independent of all of that? Or did all of that influence your action? And if it did, then this the the question of you being the one responsible gets called into question. And perhaps you can begin to see how your actions are dictated by the universe and not by yourself. But it has to be seen. It can't just be concluded or understood or intellectually grasped that's a beginning but it has to be seen for it to be really impactful and and how how is it seen the same way everything (laughs) happens it just happens without the just it It happens. happens it happens the ego when or the what I call the false sense of authorship adds the just if I'm not involved (laughs) if I'm not participating then it's just happening you see I do minimizes the functioning of the entire universe as just happening but when I do it I do it yes (laughs) I don't I just do it I do it (laughs) right Okay, so I mean it's all it's it's eye opening and 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 I'm and I'm certainly following you and I know you don't or at least in in acceptance of what is you someone had asked you for well then what should I do moving forward and I know you don't like to or you said something to the effect of I don't want to create a framework for you to to draw from you know something to that nature because you don't want to add more to the story um but for people listening, of course, even myself, it's like, okay, with the knowledge that and the belief in those who have come before me, such as yourself, I, I truly do believe when you say it will happen when it's when it happens. Okay. So <laughs> now, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm mentally. Do the next thing, Chris. Okay. The next thing that, is. The next that's thing. That's, that is it. 
do the next thing. The question of what we're, we're not using the word, but your question that you're trying to formulate is really what should I do? Sure. Yes. Yeah. And there, within this teaching, there is no should do. It's within this teaching do. is what will you do next as part of the functioning of the universe? Will it be positive? Will it be negative? We don't know. Will you take credit or blame for it after the fact? We don't know. <laughs> but something will happen. That we know. Yes. <laughs> Something's going to happen. I guarantee it. That's the only thing that I am 1,000% sure of. Something's going to happen. That and I definitely agree with you there. <laughs> okay, so. so now, now the question is, the approach is, let's see what happens. Let's see what I do. I'm, you know, I don't. I'm, you know, should I do this? Should I do this? And now, okay, let's see what I where it goes. I'm thinking all these thoughts. I'm making all these plans. Now let's see what where it goes sure. with the recognition that it's ultimately not in my hands. Very true. Back to step one, powerless. Absolutely. Amen. <laughs> so, but knowing that we have these genetic, you know, predispositions in the conditioning, of course, right. I, Chris, want to now continue to meditate because I've been conditioned, even though I can see through that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with meditation. I still do it daily because even just physically, it, it seems beneficial to the body in this experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, of course, with the intellectual knowledge that Chris, the sense of doership Chris, wants to <laughs> awaken, capitally awaken, and not have that sense of doership. So Chris needs to do this or do that. That's part of that conditioning. Um, yeah. So, and it may, here's the thing, Chris. Yeah. It may be true. <laughs> Doing those things may be part of the this final understanding that you're seeking and they or, may not <laughs> or they may not or it may quote inhibit or retard that process right yeah but you don't have any control over the outcome so you do what you do it's so humbling to this sense of chris to hear that because it resonates it's such a an, an honest truth but it's not the sense of Chris that we're attacking here. It's right. the sense of authorship. Right. Because Chris is not the sense of authorship. Yes. You see, that's, yes. that's what the, we're concerned. You're right. I have the two intertwined. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So then does, <laughs> I've got to ask, Wayne, do you ever get just tired? Because I can only imagine this conversation. You, I, I mean, this is what you do and you're helping so many people on their journey. But d does your experience, does it ever get tiring? doing this like hearing the same questions over and over and helping people like trying to point to that which is now it for you you know and, and others but does it does it ever get tiring I, I get physically tired but I'm never bored sure because it's yeah. never the same twice I mean you and the energy of this interaction is a lie yeah you see this is happening now yeah and so it is not the simple rote you ask the question, I give the out-of-the-book answer. Right. 
Right. This is that is not what is happening. As a result, boredom is is not possible. This is a living, breathing event in which we're both participating, hmm. and therefore, boredom is impossible. <laughs> this is all right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, we've got about 15 minutes and I have a million things, of course, to ask you. Let, let's something very simple that I should have started with, but <laughs> well, you can edit it and put it in the book. <laughs> <front. laughs> All right. So let's pretend like we're at the beginning. Ed Vito, Wayne, can, can, yeah. can you talk about what specifically that is for anyone not familiar with the term or the teaching? Yeah, uh, basically, I mean, the term Advaita is a Sanskrit word that means not to. So it points to that essential unity of things, to the essence of, and this is, this is what is, to me, so uh, interesting about the term Advaita, is that obviously there are two. I mean, there's you and me, and, and yet the, the, the name of the teaching is Advaita, not to. So what is the two then? That be, that's really the question. If, it's, if the two are not two, if you and I are not two, then what are we? That's what the term Advaita opens up. And this Advaita is inquiry. It is, it is a looking rather than... Uh, Anyway, as I talk about it, as the living teaching of Advaita, it's an inquiry. It's not a rote repetition of what this sage said 300 years ago or is written in this Veda or, or that book. It is very much a living inquiry, a one in which you are encouraged, you are uh, and given the tools, some tools to look at these very fundamental questions. So one thing I, I definitely want to talk to you about is, and I think we mentioned a little bit about this earlier, but you were reluctant um, to teach in the beginning. Like it says in your bio, which I, I thought, and I read in your book is funny about how you didn't want a bunch of miserable seekers, you know, like Ramesh had in the living room. And I would love to hear your feedback on this because something I struggle with and in turn many people have asked me about um, is in a very condensed nutshell because I in no way want to make this about me but just using myself as the example. I start writing about my experience with addiction and recovery for some websites with the sheer intention that maybe someone will read this and hopefully avoid some of the pitfalls. That was my intention in doing this. Next thing I know, a New York Times bestselling author is introducing me to her literary agent. I was not looking to write a book, but a, a year and a half after a relapse, I have my first book come out. Here I am, fast forward many years later, three books out with major publishers, speaking at festivals and conferences, constantly questioning myself. You were asked by a teacher to start teaching. I was not. It was... I mean, I don't know how to make sense of it because it was not something I wanted to do. I don't want to be in this arena. And a lot of teachers come to me and say, I don't know if I should teach or not. And I 
don't know still to this day, years in, because I don't want to be doing more harm than good. I look at a lot of the teachings out there, and it's just my own personal perspective on it, but I see, I feel like they are doing more harm than good. And then I read your work, and it, and, and again, Ramesh, and it's like, therein lies the truth. Not to say that I can't help other people, but I, I, I'm conflicted, to be totally honest. And a lot of people that talk to me are conflicted. So what would you say either to me or anyone listening that is in a role of a teacher but struggles with being in that role? Mm-hmm. Well, what comes to mind is Ramesh's observation that the, quote, genuine teacher and the false teacher are created by the same source. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I I mean that wholeheartedly when I say yes. I don't know what else to say beyond that. Yes. So let's talk about the, since Ramesh has come up, the guru-disciple relationship, um, because that is something that it can be, a lot of people are very wary of that. Um, I mean, I'm sure you're very familiar with no shortage of um, unfortunate situations that have arisen in that dynamic. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your experience with that in Ramesh and, and maybe any of the, if what your thoughts are today in that relationship for people that might be called to a guru, but there can be abuse of power there has been, has been the case. Yeah, there certainly can. And we, nobody wants to be the victim of anything. Sure. Uh, be it a, a, a victim of a disease, of a bacteria, of a cancer cell, of a uh, abusive guru, of uh, a mugger. Nobody wants to be the victim of anything. Uh, but we don't control that, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and the we follow our we we act in accordance with what we feel is right in the moment and sometimes it's beneficial and sometimes it's not that's all we can do that's all we can do and there are going to be all kinds of cases and stories of incredible uh, abuses of power and staggeringly amazing uh, benefits and openings and uh, beneficences (laughs) that come from that relationship. In my case, I was blessed to have a relationship with a guru who uh, I fell very much in love with and who uh, through whose presence I experienced uh, some incredible expansions that made me know in my deepest being uh, what was possible, what I was gave me a glimpse over the fence, as he said. And so for me, that was incredibly, I mean, it, it, it is the most profound human experience I've had, without a doubt. 
and I made a long and detailed <laughs> study of human experience. You know, yes. uh, and I've had some really good ones. And some, but this this one this this guru disciple relationship to me is the ultimate human experience. That said, what the outcome of that will be for any given person, we don't know. Yeah. Very true. I appreciate that. And and for me, I know it was very helpful to read about initially Ram Das and Maharaji and to get to know Ram Das and to see the sincerity and know that there can be an authentic guru disciple relationship and to read your words with Ramesh and have what I really appreciated that you talk about is that resonance, you know, that, that real feeling that something is true, that connection. So, um, you look like, you yes, the connection is true. Yeah. The, the expansion that comes in that connection, you know, in beyond any doubt that that's true. Hmm. It, it is truth itself. Yeah. It is not something that is true that you can then communicate to somebody else. Right. It is an experience of truth itself. And that's the living teaching. When you have that experience of the truth rather than knowing the truth. And so what's the what's your truth today what what does an average day for wayne aside from teaching you just you live your life as a as a as a wayne that's it you no robes yeah. no no you know whatever it's just wayne lickerman you know i would take out just um damn it yes <laughs> wayne it is wayne lickerman. It is wayne. that is my experience i live as wayne lickerman fully completely intensely yeah. with my qualities and characteristics positive and negative with the outcomes that are that come from both the positive and the negative aspects of myself yeah. and those are all playing out as my life i'm blessed infinitely blessed not to have the suffering that attends to the sense that i am other than I am. Yeah. So the major difference as you've written about is that there just, there's not just, there's not a personal sense of doership that is essentially fallen away. That's what we, what Ramesh called it. I okay. call it the sense of authorship. Authorship, right. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that does not arise. That is correct. And that is what, when we talk about, if and when it's going to happen, it's just going to happen. Regardless of what practice is, whatever you do or don't do, it will happen of its own accord, that falling away. So the question is, what does what does not happen of its own accord? Nothing. <laughs> well, then, then to make a distinction between this happening of its own accord doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that only makes sense if something could possibly happen not of its own accord and so we're saying well what is it then that doesn't happen of its own accord yeah yeah well i i know i'm a glutton for punishment because this conversation i absolutely have adored and i feel 
this big after it because in a good way it I really that's why I appreciate your work so much is it really turns the lens inward um, and uh, it leaves the mind doing a, a fancy little dance up there and uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe an angry fancy dance but I, uh, I Wayne I really I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to you for your work your books, um, your YouTube videos, you do live streaming, which I love watching. Um, for listeners, aside from Advaita.com, is there anything? It's actually Advaita.org. Oh, .org. Apologies. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so Advaita.org. And again, if you're listening, just scroll down on the Be Here Now page and you will see it linked. You'll see links to Wayne's books as well. Uh, but you, you give talks all over the world as well as um, when you're around. Is it weekly in from your house? Is that... It's actually four times a week. Four times a week. Okay. Yeah. Are they live streamed four times? They are live streamed. Always. Four okay. Times a week. So, and people can find out more information about all of that at advaita.org? That is correct. Lovely. Well, Wayne, I, I appreciate you for melting this mind and uh, your time and your work. Um, and with that, I, yeah, just thank you. You're most welcome, Chris. <laughs> This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.